I invite our friends who are heading to Toddler Nursery and Children's Church to be dismissed at this time. Those who are remaining in the sanctuary, if you would please turn to Psalm 52. Psalm 52. Psalm 52, beginning in verse 1. For the choir director, a masculine of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction and like a sharp razor, a worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. Selah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous will see and fear and will laugh at him, saying, Behold, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. But as for me, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give you thanks forever because you have done it. And I will wait on your name for it is good. In the presence of your godly ones. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for its truth. Father, thank you for how it challenges us, how it shapes us, how it changes us, how it transforms us. Thank you for the means of grace that it is to us. Father, today, as we have been faithful to what your word says, to read publicly from your word, and now to gather together and to learn from your word, Father, may Christ be made much of in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, um, before we get into the context, I just want to go ahead and kind of give a a disclaimer. Uh, This is a really hard sermon to preach. And for some, it will be a really hard sermon to hear. Now... I know some guys personally, this would have been a very easy sermon for them to preach because their struggles getting to the place where they became preachers were not my struggles. Just like there's some sermons that I can preach that would be hard for them because everybody has different things that they struggle with. I had a great personal struggle in my life. With the misuse of my mouth and my words. It was very profound. Very difficult thing for God to chip away in my life. Because I clung to it so aggressively. Even after my conversion. And even still to this day. There's this horrible monster locked up inside of a cage. Inside my soul. That has conversations with people that I know... I cannot have, not be pleasing to the Holy Spirit for me to respond in that way, to talk that way, to use the language that gets used by that monster in the cage, to run people down the way that that. And and I'll just I'll just being vulnerable and honest. Rarely does a day, a whole day go by for me 
where I'm not looking at somebody in the face, having a conversation with them and the monster's voice in my head's going, hey, say this. And I'm like, I can't say that. And so I don't say that. Praise be to God, all glory to him. But when I hit a passage in scripture that talks about the evil use of the mouth. It's hard for me. And then God's funny about it because he's like, I want you to preach on it on Sunday. Tell everybody else how they need to use their mouths. And it's tough. It's not it's not easy. So this morning, this is going to be hard for me. So if if this hits you funny, you don't like it. I'm not really that sorry about it. Because I've had to deal with this all week long. You get 40 minutes. okay? So here we go. Jesus is the king of our tongues. Already. We're starting out at a place we don't want to be. Now, I want to get to the subscript because the subscript being verse one in the Hebrew Bible, it mentions the context of when David wrote this song, this particular psalm that was written by him. And it's when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. So if you want to turn back, you can. I'm just going to read it. We're not going to delve into a lot of the depths of the context. But first Samuel chapter 22, beginning in verse nine, is this story so that we can have a little context as to why David would write this kind of psalm. It says, then Doeg, the Edomite, who was standing by the servants of Saul, said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Etude. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And then the king sent someone to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all of his father's household and the priests who were at Nob and all they and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, listen now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, and he said, here I am, my Lord. And Saul then said, why have you and the, uh, and the son of Jesse conspired against me and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him so that he would rise up against me by lying in ambush as it is this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, and who among all your servants is as faithful as David? I just want to pause here. This is not the sermon for today, but may God give all of us this level of boldness. In the face of someone who could kill us just for speaking the truth. Because this is really awesome what's happening here. Even the king's son-in-law, who's the captain over your guard and is honored in your house. Did I just begin to inquire of God for him today? Far be it from me. Do not let the king impute anything to his servant or to any of his household of my father. For your servant knows nothing at all of this whole affair. But then the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all of your father's household. And the king said to the guards who were attending him, turn around and put the priests of the Lord to death because their hand also is with David. And because they knew that he was fleeing and he did not reveal it to me. But the servants of the king were not willing to put forth their hands to attack the priests of the Lord. And then the king said to Doeg, you turn around and attack the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned around and attacked the priest. And he killed that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. And he struck Nob, the city of the priest, with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and infants, also oxen, donkeys, and sheep. He struck with the edge of the sword. But one son of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, 
named Abathar escaped and fled after David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. And David said to Abathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. And you are safe with me. It's in the context of this story that David writes this psalm. And he writes in the context of the madness of a king. The king has completely lost his mind. And the treachery of those around a mad king who are seeking honor and power. Hashtag, we're about to start voting. All right, sorry, that, that's the extent of my political engagement from the pulpit. What's interesting, though, about this psalm in the context of a maddened king and those getting close to a maddened king in their search and quest for power is that most of this psalm, not the entire psalm, but most of this psalm is about the misuse of the mouth, which seems really strange given the context of what just happened in Samuel. Until you really kind of filter through what happened in Samuel. David went to the priest. He said, hey, we need provisions. We need a weapon. You're David. You're the king's son-in-law. You're the commander of the armies. You're the captain. I've called upon the Lord for you before. I'll be happy to give you provisions. Be happy to give you Goliath's sword. It's technically yours anyway. You killed him. And used his sword to cut his head off. You have as much right to it as anybody else does. By all means, go ahead and take it. And then Saul, in hot pursuit of David, comes and finds out that this happened. The priest helped David. And he calls him out on it. And he says, you've gone over to David's side and you're standing against me. And the priest just tells the truth. He says, is this the first time that I've prayed for David? Is this the first time that I've taken inquiry to the Lord on David's behalf? Is this the first time that I have given members of the king's army provisions and helped them and blessed them and shown the love of God to them? He just told him the truth. The king was so enraged at the idea that David might become the one to become king and that David might be the one to have power. That the truth Didn't make any sense to him anymore. And so he used his words. To make a command of those around him to commit acts of violence and treachery. He misused his power and by extension misused his speech to drive events to a place of wickedness. Now, to the credit of those who are with the king, most of them would not do it. We're not going to kill these guys. So Doeg says, basically, when the king turns to him, he's like, hey, you kill him. All right, I'll kill him. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And there's this profound violence that takes place. And it all started because one person wouldn't listen to the truth. And the person who wouldn't listen to the truth then turned around and used the power that they had To speak words of violence against those that violence should not have come against. Notice Saul didn't kill anybody that day. 
But Saul is guilty of killing all of those people that day. Because that's the power of human speech. That's how that works. And so it is not oddly out of place that when David writes a psalm based on this event, he spends most of the time in the psalm speaking about the misuse of the mouth. And so that's where we're going to start today. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? You can hear almost like David saying that to Saul. So let's start with boasting. Now, boasting, for the most part, gets a really bad rap as it should. Pride-filled boasting is not a good thing. However, there is pronouncements that are pride-filled pronouncements that are righteous. The Psalms are filled with them. Our God is great. And greatly to be worshipped. Hey, that's a pride fill. That's a boast in God. My soul will boast in the Lord alone. Not all boasting is wicked. There is a boasting that is righteous. But notice what David points out here. He says, why do you boast in evil? That becomes incredibly problematic when you open your mouth and you give praise to that which is evil. That's a problem. That's an issue. And he asked this question of those who consider themselves to be mighty. But he makes a statement all throughout. This is what I love about the psalm. All throughout the psalm, there's these little turns where David is reminding everyone who hears it that God is still good, regardless of how wicked men might be. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. No matter how far you think you're getting to go with this evil that's around you that you're boasting in, that evil will be cut off and God's loving kindness will still endure. Why would you boast in the thing that God himself will overthrow? Rather, you should boast in the glory of who God is. It's a beautiful thing that David's doing here. Second. He speaks to this wicked, mighty man, and he says, your tongue devises destruction. In the case of Saul, and and hear me this morning. Some of what's going to be said is going to be remarkably painful. I've already given you a warning, another little warning as we go forward. In the case of Saul, his mouth was devising destruction, literal, real destruction of lives. People died that day because of Saul's speech. And for most of us, we can step back from that and say, well, I mean, I've never said anything that got somebody killed before. But most of us, if we're honest have said some things in our lives to people or about people that have essentially destroyed their lives. We've run them down. We've beaten them over with our mouths. We've been brutal with our speech. 
We've destroyed and maligned their character with anybody that would listen to us talk about this. Oh, that guy. Um, did you know? Hey, have you heard? Hey, did you see? Some old school Baptist prayer meetings used to be the world's worst. Hey, listen, y'all, we need to pray for Miss Sue and Sally. Let me tell y'all what they did. And here we go, destroying people's lives in the guise of a righteous prayer request. Can't say amen, say ouch. This is the reality of the destructive power of speech. Devises destruction. Notice the language that it used. It says that it's, it's sharp razor. Sharp razor. Sharp razors aren't designed this way for just cutting in general. Sharp razors are designed that way for cutting with precision. Very intentional cuts. When you go to have a surgical procedure done, you want your surgeon, if it's a, if it's a manual surgery, not a laser-based surgery, to have a sharp razor. No, no dull knife surgeries, please. You don't want that. You want someone that can hit just the right spot. That's the way the human mouth is. That's the way the tongue is. It delivers these precision blows of destruction into other people's lives if used wickedly. Saul did it that day. He created an environment that was completely untrue. And then he invited people into destruction and they wouldn't take it. And so he found whoever would take any takers on this thing that I'm trying to do. And friends, sadly, in our broken and fallen world, there's always takers in the path of destruction. There's always somebody to listen to that gossip. There's always somebody to listen to the lie. There's always someone to agree with the belittlement. And he calls this use of the tongue, this power of speech, a worker of deceit. Notice then what happens. And this language is still being used against the mighty one who 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 is ill using the mouth. Notice in verse three, you love evil more than good. Especially in the arena of speech, you love falsehood more than speaking what is right. Dear friend, evaluate your speech from this past week. Have you delighted in speaking those things that aren't all the way quite true? But certainly benefit you to the detriment of someone else. Or have you loved that which is just purely righteous in the way that you've used your speech? It's a challenging thing to ask. Notice then as it continues, you love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. You love words that devour. 
This tongue is marked out as a lying tongue, a deceitful tongue, a tongue that that pulls cloth over the eyes so that we cannot see clearly as to what's going on. There's corruption found in the mouth. Now, before we move into some of the other aspects of the psalm. Here's what you need to understand about God's care for human speech. There's a lot of issues that Christians take seriously and they should. A lot of issues. We should take seriously the abortion issue. We should take seriously human sexuality, particularly as it relates to homosexuality. We should take that seriously. We should take seriously how we care for foreign neighbors. Should take that seriously. Here's the thing, though. Particularly those first two issues of abortion and homosexuality, if you were to collectively combine the explicit verses in the Bible about those two issues, you might land on about 15, 20 tops. When you walk through the whole of the scripture, And it gives warning and command about the use of your mouth and your tongue. You run into literally hundreds upon hundreds of passages about how God expects those made in his image to speak and not speak. God has given a profound weight of importance to the use of speech By those made in his image. And it's usually something. That you never really hear or see Christians talking much about. We have example upon example. Recorded it forever on the internet. Because by the way this. Is just a hardbound copy of this. It's still speech. It's just written down instead of spoken out loud. And we have literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of examples of Christians misusing their mouths every day, recorded forever on the Internet. And almost no one calling them out on how wretched it is to abuse other people with your language and your speech. And yet God, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in his word, gives severe warnings to those who would say they are his covenant people about how they speak to other human beings. And the overall Christian response to that, for the most part, is, eh. You're not going to get people to go out And have a rally with picket signs about put a watch over my tongue. Like you're just not like you're not going to see that rally. Nobody's coming to that fundraising event. It's just not going to happen. And yet God cares profoundly about how we speak and how we talk and how we engage with other human beings with our mouths. 
some of the most severe warnings, and we'll get to a couple of them in a second, in Scripture are about the misuse of the tongue. And so notice God's judgment on those who have this issue. Listen to what it says, friend. This, this is aggressive. Like, this is aggressive. But God will break you down forever. Ooh. Okay. And he will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. That's God's declaration of judgment on the wicked man who uses his tongue deceitfully to promote that which is evil rather than that which is good. Friend, do you do you hear this? But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. And then what happens when God does this? Then the righteous will see and guess what they'll do? And fear. Understatement of the century. The righteous will see this and become afraid. And then we'll laugh at him. I love how the transition happens. Oh, wait, that's not for us because we're actually in God's covenant and we've been living righteously, conforming to his image because of the grace of Jesus. Oh, <laughs> look what happened to you. And then it's like, wait, isn't that you using your mouth incorrectly? But that's for another day. Behold, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. This language of evil desire covers a huge gamut of things. But the language there, it's he was strong in his destruction. In his destroying capability. And this is the righteous response. The righteous, they see it and they fear and they laugh. God's judgment has come. Man has trusted in his own success and his own privilege in his own place and his own prestige. And and he has a longing for all of his own evil desire. That's what happens here. But notice as it continues, when you get to verse eight, it says the righteous grow in the house of God. But as for me, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. There's growth that's happening. And where is the trust to be found? I trust in the loving kindness of God. Remember, that's that mercy filled love that removes wrath. It's the it's the. It's the sacrificial system, system love. There's another that has been punished and I have been set free. And I will give thanks. And I will wait. And the notion of waiting in the Old Testament is the idea of having hope. I will wait on your name for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. So I'm going to trust in God's Mercy filled love. I'm going to give thanks to God for what he's done in my life. And I'm going to hope in God's name among the godly ones. In other words, I'm going to find deliverance from this by God's grace in God's community. In our individualistic reality of Christianity here in America, particularly in the American West. 
We really do shun the notion of transformative community. But the reason God places us in a community like the one that we're in, like the one that we're in right now, is so that the community can help us look more like Jesus. Listen, I've been the pastor of the church for over 12 years. There have been more times than I would like to admit where I have said things to people that are true. And a lot of times that's our that's our defense mechanism as Christians. Well, I'm sorry that they got mad and offended. I, all I did was tell them the truth. Yeah. And you told them the truth like a jerk. And the jerk part didn't have to be there. You could have still told them the truth. More times than I'd like to admit, I've had people who love me, even as the senior pastor enough, to come to me after the fact and say, Hey, Philip, I agree in essence with everything that you said to that person. But these adjectives that were in there, the tone and the sharpness and the harshness and kind of the brutality with which you delivered what you said, man, you, you, you probably ought to go tell them you're sorry for that. What? Tell somebody I'm sorry for telling them the truth. No, no, no. Yeah, you told them the truth. But man, you told them the truth in, in the worst, roughest possible way. And I wouldn't have gotten that if I weren't in a community of godly ones who were willing to look at me and love me enough and say, hey, what you're doing is not best. And if I weren't willing to yield myself to the grace that can be found in a community like this one and say, you know what, I want to be what's best. And that probably wasn't it. This is the beauty of what happens with a righteous response. The righteous respond in a different kind of way. And so let's talk for a second as we get ready to close about the mouth of the righteous. Why is speech such a big deal to God? Well, it's because there's power in speech. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit hovered over the waters. And then God said. Let there be light. And there was light. God uses speech in the act of creation itself. Now, hear me. God did not have to create that way. He's all powerful, all sovereign, all knowing, all strong, all great, all wise God. God could have done anything to create. And God chose in his sovereignty to speak creation into existence. And friends, there's something going on there more than just God creating. God is demonstrating to mankind the power of the spoken word. It's substance in his divine economy of salvation and redemption that is to come. You say, Philip, you're overstating it. No, because he gave to humans the power of the same kind of speech. Remember in the creation story, chapter two of Genesis. And it says that 
God created all manner of creatures. And he brought him to the man that he had made for that man to do what? What? To name them. For you to call them by whatever name they would be. Power of speech. This thing that I did, speaking to create, I'm going to let you as my image bearer share in it unlike all the other creatures. Do other creatures have forms of communication? Yes, they do. I'm not going to be one of those guys who stands up here and be like, people are the only ones that God made be smart enough to talk to each other. No, there's pure, clear demonstration that other animals have forms of communication. Not like us. You don't have to be a profound student of the sciences to know that human speech is radically different than any other form of animal communication. Radically different. Last time I checked, dolphin chirps have never caused World War II in the ocean. Like, there's a sudden loss of uh, fish population in the ocean today. Uh, we traced it back to a uh, thing written, a speech given by a particular uh, dolphin that was based out of Germany. And No, you don't get that, okay? But what you get from human speech is the ability to change the entire course of the world. Why? Because our capacity of communication is a gift given to us by God as we bear His image. We, listen, hear to me this morning. This isn't blasphemy. This is just truth of the scripture. We use words the way God uses words. That's one of the gifts that He's given to us as image bearers. Friends, that's profoundly powerful and incredibly dangerous if misused. Can you imagine for just a moment if God were not completely holy and righteous and what his speech could do to this universe if he were driven by sin Rather than holy righteousness. I don't even want to begin to think about it. I've already seen what we have done to this world. With our speech being driven by wickedness. And we're not nearly as powerful as God is. Third. God uses speech. The spoken or written word. To declare truth about himself and our salvation. When God in his sovereign wisdom determined to help humanity understand the path of deliverance from sin, he gave to us words. In fact, in that word, he makes a declaration. He says, I have two forms of revelation. I have all the things that I've made and the things that I've made show my glory. You should know who I am through what I've made. But none of you can be saved from your sins by looking at what I've made. The only way that you can be saved from your sins and know the righteous path that I have for you through my son, Jesus Christ, is my second but greater revelation. My word given to you. It's powerful. It's powerful. And finally, Jesus himself is called the word. 
Now, I know that there's a lot of Greco-Roman undertones to that and a lot of philosophy and a lot of other stuff. We want to get into all that. But in John 1, when it talks about Jesus being the word, when you get down about verse 14 or so, there's a declaration there that Jesus is essentially the exposition of the father. He has come to make the father Known And how did he predominantly do that? By telling us. By using words. People wrote them down. So that we would still have them. So I want to close briefly with two other passages of scripture. Of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds that we could choose from. Two other passages of scripture. Because I really want to drive home how Jesus needs to be the king of our tongue. Our speech as Christians should be different kind of speech. It should be seasoned and salted with grace. First, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Did did you hear that this morning, Christian friend? The word of God. Fully capable of delivering to us all of God's perspective about himself and about our need for him and about how we should order our lives. Says to us. That death. And life. Are in the power. Of the tongue. One of the greatest lies that you've ever been told in your life was a lie that you were told in elementary school when your teacher would sing little nursery rhyme songs to you. And she said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Lie. Kindergarten teacher lied to you. As I've gotten older, I realize they told me a bunch of lies in kindergarten. (laughs) But that's a big one. That's a big one. Words have the power of life and death. When, When you think through the circumstances of your life. When you think through the greatest highs and the greatest lows that you have ever experienced in your life. Almost all of them, not every single one, but almost all of them have been tied to some sort of verbal event. I'll just I'll just give you a few short run throughs. Of my own life. I I don't know your life well enough. So I'll just tell you personally from my life. Greatest highs, greatest lows of my life are all centered around some sort of verbal event. Greatest high of my life. Hearing finally that sermon that God used through the power of the Holy Spirit to make me aware of my need of Jesus And then my voice calling out to Jesus out loud for forgiveness and deliverance from my sin. Greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. It's a verbal event. 
verbal event that I'm still shocked by that happened. I'm still not sure how, but I'm just glad every day that it did. I asked a certain young lady, hey, will you marry me? And she seemed excited to say yes. Awesomely great day for me. It's fantastic. Around that time, went to a family gathering. My grandfather, who was there, who had just recently retired, was ready to settle in and enjoy his life in the country. One of my aunts had just found out that they were having a later in life child. My, my bride now and I had just announced that we were going to get married. We get together for this family event. It's supposed to be a joyful and great time. Hey, Philip's getting married. Hey, she's having a baby. Oh, I have leukemia and they don't think I'm going to live more than six months. Yeah, it was low. Verbal event. And you've had this happen to you in your life. For those of you who had to stay in the lobby rather than be in the room and they come out, it's a boy, it's a girl, man. Hi, that's man, verbal event, it's great. Wow. Or you gotta do that follow up visit with the doctor. Hey, it's 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 cancer. You get that phone call. I'm I'm so sorry, the other car was texting and they swerved and your son didn't make it. I'm so sorry. We, we, we don't hear the heartbeat anymore. A lot of high moments and a lot of low moments. And most of them in our lives are built around people saying things to us. And right now I'm just talking about factual realities of words. But then there's times where people make choices with their words that resonate with you. Even to this day, some of you are sitting in this room. You're 40, you're 50, you're 60 years old. And and you get ready to try something in your life. And you're hesitant and you don't know if you should try it or not. You don't know if you should take that step or not. And all you hear is that horrid voice in your head going, you're good for nothing and you'll never amount to anything. And that's all that you remember from that person who should have loved you better than that in your childhood. Low moment of words. Or. You hear that strong voice of encouragement from whoever that person was. Hey, listen, I know that you're struggling with this, but wow, you just keep trying. I'm gonna pray for you. Man, I don't know how many times, even now, all these years later, my grandmother's been dead for a couple of years. My buddy Ralph has been dead for longer than that. And and a lot of times when I'm going through a really tough time, I hear both of their voices. Because I would call them with problems and issues and stuff that was going on in my life. And invariably, both of them would say they wouldn't give me great advice. A lot of times they didn't have great advice. You know what they would say? Philip, I'm praying for you. Words are life and death. And then if you want to turn forward to what Jesus himself says in Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. This is what I want to close with. And friends, this is terrifying. There's there's a lot of scary stuff in the Bible. A lot of scary stuff. If you don't know that there's a lot of scary stuff in the Bible, you need to read your Bible a little bit more. It's a lot of scary stuff in the Bible. Okay. This ranks in my top five of most terrifying things said 
in the Bible. This right here, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, picking up in verse 33. This is right after Jesus talks about the unpardonable sin of speaking against the Holy Spirit. Either make the tree good, verse 33 of chapter 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit good. Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. Hear me this morning, Christian. What Jesus has to say about how we use our mouths. And the consequences of misusing our speech. You brood of vipers. How can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth, hear this, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Listen, if garbage keeps coming out of your mouth all the time, friend, I hate to be the bearer of bad news for you this morning. But if garbage keeps coming out of your mouth all the time, it's because your heart is filled with garbage. Your mouth reflects what's going on in your heart. And if you're angry in your speech all the time, it's because your heart is filled with anger. And if you're bitter in your speech all the time, it's because your heart is filled with bitterness. And if crassness comes out of your mouth all the time, it's because your heart is filled with crassness. And if grace and mercy and peace and encouragement comes out of your mouth, it's because your heart is filled with grace and mercy and peace and encouragement. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you, here's what's terrifying to me. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak. Now let's pause. I don't like the translation here, careless. A better translation is useless. Because speech is supposed to build up and demonstrate the image of God both in ourselves and encourage it in others. So I like useless better. But I tell you that every useless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it on the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Did you just hear what Jesus said? About how powerful the misuse of your mouth can be in your life. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Why? Because our speech, either this way or watch out this way, is a demonstration of what's actually going on in our hearts. The use or misuse of our mouths is one of the greatest outward demonstration of what kind of fruit is being born in our hearts. Is it coming from a good tree or is it coming from a bad tree? And so Jesus isn't saying that this is a works-based salvation. Hey, if you just talk real nice, you get to go to heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that the stuff that's coming out of your mouth is an actual demonstration of what's really going on in your heart. I had an old preacher tell me one time, I'll close with this. I had an old preacher tell me one time, he said, Philip, he said, there's a whole bunch of people Claim to be Christians. I sure wish that their mouth would prove it every once in a while. 
That's so right. Because out of the heart comes the abundance of speech. Out of the heart comes the overflow of the mouth. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of verses warning us to be people of grace-filled speech. And I'll just be honest, it's a struggle. It's a struggle for me. It's so much easier to just run somebody down. It's so much easier just to tell somebody off. It's so much easier just to complain and to be bitter and to be frustrated and to be crass and to be sharp and to be harsh than it is to yield to the work of the Spirit and to cultivate inwardly those things that then can come through the mouth outwardly. But be encouraged, friend. Be encouraged. What is what is our psalm saying? Be encouraged. If you've turned away from it, turn back to Psalm 52. Be encouraged this morning. Verse 1, second half. The loving kindness of God endures all day long. Praise God. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for challenging texts like this one that call us out on those things that we would often turn a blind eye to. Father, even starting today, let us be mindful of our speech. Let us be mindful of the use of our tongues. Let us be mindful that by our words we will be justified. By our words, we'll be condemned. Let us be mindful, God, that death and life are found in the tongue. And let us yield our speech to the transformative power of your grace and your gospel. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you.